0: I'm Tony and I am still native in tech. Today is uh, the 27th of May 2019 and today is also not the usual episode format since I'm missing both my friends Alexander and Simon. However, I do have another friend with me on this episode. Drum roll everyone. It's Andy Serovich or Andy Sandwich.
1: There we go. How's it going?
0: (laughs) So MVP Hyper B, and he's been on the show before uh, from Ignite 2018. Welcome back to the show, Andy. How are you?
1: Good, good. Hey, happy to be back. We uh, we had a blast at the uh, recording the show there at Ignite last year. So definitely happy to come back and uh, be knee deep in tech, as you say.
0: Yeah, uh, you also mentioned that there was uh, some uh, Swedish candy issues that you had to endure during, during the show.
1: <laughs> I do remember that. You and I were talking about that before we uh, we hit the record button here. The uh, The Turkish, what was it? Turkish tur- Turkish pepper. something. Turkish pepper, that's right. That one was actually really good. I remember trying a couple of other uh, very odd ones, I guess I would say. But uh, that one sticks out in my mind for some reason.
0: Yeah, I can, uh, can I imagine why. So, uh, sadly, uh, daily work at Altaro, right? What's that? Uh, You're doing your daily work at Altaro Software, right?
1: Yeah, that's correct. That's correct. So, for those that aren't aware, uh, Altaro Software, we do backup. So we uh, we make backup software for uh, Hyper V, VMware, and now Office three sixty five.
0: Yeah, I actually thought I saw something on that on the Altaro website that you had uh, branching out to the Office three sixty five things as well.
1: That's correct. Yeah, so at, at Altero here, we really are starting to put a big emphasis on managed services providers, and uh, service providers really—they really sit in that SMB and mid-market space, right? So they want to be able to back up anything that their 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 customers are potentially using, and a lot of them are starting to use Office three sixty five. So it kind of was a a natural space for us to get into um, now that we've covered you know VMware and Hyper V for all these years.
0: Okay. Very cool. Very cool. Uh, so is this like a brand new thing right now or have you been around for a few months?
1: We've had it for, let me think about this here, six ish months. Um, we started with just, uh, email support because that was, you know, the big thing that everybody wants to retain. And we've, in the last update, we've added support for calendars and contacts. And now we're working on, uh, things like SharePoint and, uh, OneDrive for business.
0: Okay, that sounds very good since that is one of the top requested features as far as I know uh, in regards to uh, Office 365.
1: Yeah, definitely. So, you know, I, I've been at a lot of trade shows recently where, you know, we've had a booth or something like that. And, you know, that's that's the second question I always get. The first question is always, hey, can I back up uh, email contacts and calendars, um, which we can say yes to? And then the next question is, you know, can I back up SharePoint? And, um, you know, I'm happy to say that by popular demand, we're uh, we're actively working on it today.
0: Yep, that sounds very good and uh, exactly the right way to go. Uh, yeah. So how have you actually been received by the customers with these new features? Are they excited about that?
1: Yeah, definitely. They, they do seem to be pretty excited about it. Um, you know, like I said, service providers especially, they want to have the confidence that when they walk into a, a, a new customer's building, that they, they'll they be able to protect anything that they could potentially walk into, right? So this is, uh, like I said, it's, it's kind of a nice, graceful uh, uh, entry point where we can add a little bit more value to, uh, to those people using our software.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's very true, very true. So uh, are there any other like, recent Microsoft technologies you have been exploring as of late? You know,
1: so as you know, I'm part of the Microsoft MVP program, so I'm always hearing about, you know, kind of the new fancy stuff. Um, You know, I've been doing a lot with Windows Admin Center lately. I think we're going to be talking about that a bit later in the segment. Um, I've also been doing a lot with um, Azure Web Apps and just running virtual machines in Azure IaaS as well. So, um, you know, as far as recent memory goes, those are the, the big ones that I've been I've been toying with a lot.
0: Okay, so let's first dive in a little bit deeper on the IIS stuff. Uh, uh, what is your personal opinion about IIS today compared to, say, like two, three years ago? What are the improvements you are appreciating and using a lot?
1: You know, I think it's a lot better than it was several years ago. I mean, several years ago, you know, what I would call cloud 1.0, I guess. I mean, it was it was literally, let's let's run a VM in Azure, you know, and, uh, your VM sizes were kind of limited. Um, you know, you didn't have the, the breadth of different offerings that you have in Azure today. So for example, um, you know, I've been toying with spinning up a, uh, kind of a, a video game blog just to do on the side, you know, um, and my my off hours, because I'm not already busy enough, you know, I, I want to submit myself to uh, <laughs> even even more to do on my plate, right? But uh, I've been toying a lot with the um, the burstable VM sizes in Azure. So for those that aren't aware, the burstable VMs in Azure, basically you define a um, what what do I want to say? It's a you define kind of the the general size of the VM you want, and what it does is when the, the VM doesn't have anything to do, it's basically it's it's v- using very little CPU. I want to say like 25% of the CPU and it, it it lets go of the rest of it. And it kind of builds up credit until there's something for the VM to do. And then it it bursts that performance. And, you know, I was a little bit worried about that from a performance perspective, but it's actually been super fast. I haven't had any issues with it. Um, I've also been pairing those types of deployments with uh, premium SSD storage. Um, not so much for the performance, because I mean, I could just use standard SSD and that would that would be fine. What I'm most interested in is um, the 99.95% uptime you get with a single VM on premium SSD in Azure. You know, I, um, being this is kind of a new project, I don't need like an availability set or, or anything like that. Um, so just a single VM is fine, but I still want as much uptime as I can get, right? So it's it's kind of been interesting to start working through and kind of go th- going through that planning process with the, uh, the B-series.
0: Yeah, yeah. And yeah, that's exactly right, actually, that you are right now pointing out, because, I mean, previously you actually had to be using availability sets just to be sure, but now today it's been improved it so immensely that it's actually not necessary for all use cases anymore right
1: yeah correct correct i mean um really it, it, it all comes down to you know what percentage of downtime are you comfortable with and i mean for a brand new blog that's never been out there before that has no following i'm completely okay with 8 hours downtime a year you know <laughs> Of course of course. <laughs> so um, it works for me you know you know but if you're doing a project that requires less downtime, then you start looking at your different uh, your different options like you mentioned the availability sets.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And also I think that uh, the there has been a lot of added uh, added variability uh, uh, with the, you know like Azure Security Center and stuff which are pretty much like add-ons for the IIS stuff. Which you already had uh, that was not previously available. So, yep. like Security Center does a whole lot today that is actually very useful.
1: Yeah, definitely. I mean, it's like they took all the core offerings that they had a few years ago, and they just kept adding on and adding on and adding on. You know, and I mean, um, it's it's just it's it's such a different different world in the cloud than it used to be. I mean, even as something as simple as as memory. I remember if you remember back though, like the first Azure portal they had. Um,
0: classic
1: one. yeah i i think about the vm sizes we had and i remember thinking to myself like man i i wish i had more memory more memory give me more memory options i don't need this as, as much cpu but I, I want more memory and now now we've got those memory focused vm sizes you know and they're actually pretty competitively priced to be honest so um absolutely, I mean,
0: absolutely. it's like they just
1: keep giving us more options and more flexibility and i mean really that's what the cloud's all about right
0: absolutely absolutely um Great. Uh, and you also mentioned Azure Apps. Now, I haven't actually been looking at the SaaS or PaaS stuff pretty much at all, uh, because I usually try to leave those to Alex mostly. Yep, yep. So so maybe you can tell us a little bit about Azure Apps and what they are and what they are good for. Yeah, so for.
1: so what I've been working with specifically is Azure Web Apps. So um, I, I have a a tech blog as well that kind of goes hand in hand with my altero stuff i haven't done much with it over the last couple of years and lately i've kind of been revamping it as kind of a secondary location to um you know maybe post article snippets that i do on the altero blog and um, you know if i'm speaking at a conference write a quick snippet about that just kind of like a what's going on with andy type of blog right and um You know, I kind of, I wanted to get away and try and experiment with hosting a web page without actually running the full stack, the full VM underneath, right? And that's where Azure Web Apps comes in. And, you know, I was a little, I don't want to say worried, but I knew it was going to be, I knew it was going to be a lot different experience because, you know, I'm not standing up a VM. I'm not installing Windows. I'm not configuring Windows. I'm not installing the IIS role. I'm not doing all that stuff that I'm used to doing, right? And, I,
0: sure.
1: uh, you know, it was crazy, stupid easy, you know, how easy it was to, to get this web app up and running. I, I knew I wanted to use WordPress. I went into the Azure marketplace. I said, okay, I want to run a web app with WordPress. You know, do I want it to be based on Windows or Linux? Um I believe I selected Windows that way it's it's IIS under the hood. but the whole the whole beauty of it is is I don't have to worry about the stack. I don't have to worry about patching the operating system. I don't have to worry about any of that stuff. I just want to create content on it, right And um, I think on top of that, the only other um, the only other thing I had to do besides the deployment was handle the DNS settings, which you know with an Azure web app, you can give it a, a DNS name like, you know, Andy's Web App. South Central US. Cloud App. com is kind of what the DNS string is. And then you go to your actual, you know, your, the real domain you want to use, and you create a C name that points to that. Um, so that takes care of your DNS settings. And the only other thing on top of that was the SSL certificate, which was really easy to get taken care of as well. I mean, um, and the nice thing about it is, is right on the Web Apps UI screen, Um, you know, it gives you all the links to the various pieces of documentation you need to use to get the job done. So um, if you don't know how to do something, the information is very readily available. So I think the only other thing that threw me, and I kind of learned this after the fact is, um, oh, what do they call it in Azure? Um, So you got the web app, and then you got the the service plan, I think it's called a service plan. It's like an app service plan that sits underneath. The app service plan is actually what controls the amount of resources that that, that hosting plan quote unquote gets. Um, okay. Yeah. And so in my mind, when I'm doing the deployment, I was thinking, Hey, there's a one-to-one relationship between the web app and the service plan. And that's not the case. So I, if, if I'm like a hoster or something or I'm a, an organization that has multiple websites I can have one app service plan, make it really beefy and I can host multiple web apps on top of that same underlying compute engine. So, um, so I mean, like if you look at my service plan right now, it's the apps, absolute lowest one that you can choose. And it's like half, you know, it's it's like 50% utilized. So, I mean, I could host another similarly sized website on top of that same service plan and not really incur any additional costs. So, um, Again, that whole thing with the cloud being as efficient as you can be. Um, And I mean, it's just kind of interesting stepping through the process because, uh, like I said, that's one of those things I didn't realize right out of the gate. But as you start working through it and and working with it, you kind of learn those things, you know?
0: Yeah, of course, and uh, uh, one little, uh, just a side note for that, Uh, doesn't WordPress actually utilize a database as well, so that gets taken care of by automatically this setup, right?
1: It's, yeah, there's a little bit that I had to do with the database, so um, I am actually utilizing, um, Azure has a MySQL uh, PaaS offering now in Azure, Um, so I'm actually utilizing that, and uh, the nice thing there was is I didn't, I didn't really have to to do a whole lot other than spin up that database and just point the web instance at it.
0: Okay, okay. So pretty much like everything in Azure today, it's just like a guide, you fill in the information, click next, next, finish, and it's already done.
1: Pretty much, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's. I think I had this website, including the service plan and all the associated settings. I don't know, maybe it took me half an hour. <laughs> I mean, you think about how long that, that would have taken us in the olden days, right? Um,
0: <laughs> st- half an hour, and you hadn't have, you even actually used it before, so half an hour including learning this stuff.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a base website. I didn't have the DNS configured yet. I didn't have the uh, the SSL cert install or anything like that. But I had a back end that I could log into, and I could post content if I wanted. You know, the the core services were
0: there. Okay, very impressive, very impressive. I I think I have to actually look into that one day.
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, it, it is a little bit more expensive. Um, I think for the, just the very base low-level entry point, I'm paying, you know, for the database costs and the hosting costs, it's like 70 bucks a month. So if you compare it to like a... Oh, like a GoDaddy or something like that. I mean, you can't compare on cost, but think about all the hidden costs that you're saving. You know, you're not paying somebody to patch the server, you know, monthly. You're not paying, you know, somebody to make sure that, oh, hey, this IIS vulnerability is, is, is addressed and taken care of. You know, everything in the underlying stack is taken care of for you. So, um, you know, I think there's a lot of value in that.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I I, I, I am... No doubt that they are not competing in like, the web hosting space anyway. Yeah,
1: agreed. editor yep.
0: for that at all. So it, it's a whole different thing. Um, okay, uh, trying to get back on track somewhat. That was actually very interesting. So I think I saw a post from you regarding uh, an Altero blog post actually, uh, Windows subsystem for Linux. Have you been digging into that as of late? Anything?
1: Yeah, I've dug into a little bit myself. Um I think that particular blog post you're talking about was written by um one of my buddies, uh Eric Siron. He's another Microsoft MVP. Um and he was doing something really interesting with it. He was actually um I forget what variant of Linux he had running in WSL. I want to say it was uh Ubuntu. And he was actually using Ubuntu as like a like a uh a, a certificate host for the machine that WSL was running on. He was doing like this really interesting kind of uh, chicken and the egg type of thing. Um,
0: yeah, 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 yeah. I-, I think I recognize that. Yeah. And, uh, you actually used to be working a lot with Linux uh, before, right? Oh, yeah, definitely.
1: And I still do on uh, quite, quite frequently. I mean, at any given time, there's probably three or four Linux machines running in my lab at the very least. I mean, um, at one point in my career, I fancied myself a Linux administrator. I don't know if I can say that anymore, but at one point in time, I was pretty decent at it. But uh, um, but yeah, I mean, I, I've, I've tinkered with it quite a bit. Uh, one thing that I found really interesting, um, I was actually talking with uh, Tara Raj. Uh, she actually owns uh, WSL over at Microsoft. She's the program manager for that partic- particular feature. I was talking with her at Ignite last year, and she was actually telling me that uh, there are some folks in the community that actually... Have a X server running with WSL. So, for those that aren't aware, um, to run any graphical application in the Linux world, you need an X server, which basically it's 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 the GUI. It's your window. You know, it's the underlying piece that runs your window manager or KDE or GNOME or whatever desktop environment you want to use. Um, but basically, what this was allowing people to do is running a uh, an X server on top of windows with WSL was allowing people to do things like run Linux GUI applications on windows. Um, so, I mean, it it was still at that time, it was in a very kind of hackish type of state, I guess I would say. Um, it was in no way, shape or form supported, but people were doing it, you know? So, I mean, you think about uh, the possibilities for the future. I mean, um, I could think of a handful of Linux GUI applications that I'd love to have in windows, you know? Um, I think there's a lot of there's a lot of potential there, and um, I think Microsoft sees there's a lot of potential there as well, and that's why there's such kind of this this frantic uh, uh, development pace for anything to do with Linux and the Microsoft stack.
0: Sure, but don't, don't you, or at least my imagination tells me that the whole subsystem for Linux thing has been pretty much born out of you know the container stuff, which came into Windows just oh pretty recently. I mean, Server 2016 and. Um, and 2019, of course, which was uh, much improved. But, I mean, containers in Linux have been around for many, many years. Oh, yeah. I have understood it. I'm not the Linux guy by any stretch of the imagination. Uh, But so subsystem for Linux tells me that that was kind of born out of the containers requirement.
1: Yeah, definitely. I I would agree with that. I think that's definitely part of it. I think the other part of it was is um, you think about things from the developer standpoints. You know, a vast majority of developers are developing on a, on a Linux platform. And I think Microsoft also developed WSL as a way to try and unify the platforms that developers are working on. So now they can realistically uh, run Windows on their their core machine and be able to develop in pretty much any environment they want to.
0: Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. So I definitely think that was part of it as well. Yeah, sure, sure. Then I'm not probably too far off, at at least. <laughs> no, no, definitely. I mean, the,
1: the containers thing is part of it. I mean, there's there's been a huge investment in, in containers for uh, for Microsoft. I think they just recently announced um, last week, two weeks ago, that um, Windows Server 2019 containers, uh, it's it's officially supported with uh, Kubernetes now as well. Um which uh, Kubernetes is a, a container orchestrator, you know, so if you want to run lots and lots and lots of containers inside your environment and have an easy way to manage them, that's, that's where Kubernetes comes into play. So that was a, a big win, but, yeah, I think a lot of the investments in the container, you know, the container ecosystem had a lot to do um, with the, the development of WSL because, like you said, containers have been around in, in Linux for ever and, ever and ever and ever and ever and ever, you know?
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Okay, so I think we're going to skip the next bullet point, just because uh, I have actually already talked about that with Simon in the last official episode. Sure. So I think we were free to just skip that one and go straight into uh, the Windows Server Summit 2019. Uh, that was happening the same day that we recorded the last podcast episode. So my question to you is, right now, did you attend it, and what are your thoughts about it?
1: Yeah, I did attend it. I, I actually, um, I want to say I watched probably 75% of it, and um, I thought it was good. I thought certain parts were a little bit heavy on the marketing side, which, you know, I get it. You have to, you know, you have to sell it from a marketing perspective as well, um, and in the amount of time to really do a, a big deep dive into a lot of the uh, the technologies, it's difficult in the amount of time that they had, right? But, yeah, um, it was only
0: two hours, and it was, like, streaming two hours, so...
1: Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, there's only so much you can do in that time period. And and to their credit, they covered a ton of stuff in two hours. I mean, just an absolute ton. And um, I think they got a lot of good information out. Um, I know that the big thing for me was uh, just seeing some of the statistics around... Um, Admin center and storage spaces direct specifically. I think I saw in there uh, 15,000 S2D deployments worldwide now, which for for S2D, I mean that's a lot, right?
0: Yeah, and pretty fast as well because it was actually it wasn't in, introduced in 2016,
1: right? Yeah, officially in, introduced in 2016. I mean, if I, um, you know, I mean, in my previous job, I had been uh, an infrastructure administrator for 10 years. If I put my infrastructure administrator hat back on and and I look at S two D in 2016, I probably would have said not ready for prime time just because it lacked a real um, it lacked a real GUI. I mean, it worked great. Don't get me wrong, um, but you had to use PowerShell to to manage that solution and. You know, for the junior admins on the team, that may not have worked very well, you know, but with Windows Admin Center, now we have kind of a nice GUI where I can go and I can get some nice performance metrics. I can see how the cluster's doing. Um, I think it's 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 totally ready for prime time now in twenty nineteen. And I think that's why we've seen the uh, the cluster deployment number jump up as, as high as we have. Yeah, I agree
0: wholeheartedly, absolutely. And also, I've, I've heard from a lot of like storage guys, those who are like hardcore storage guys. Um, as much as they liked the S2D in 2016, I mean server 2016, they still felt a little skeptical about it. You know, brand new Microsoft thing. Ah, we're not really sure. And they also felt that it's not really you know feature complete, and a lot of that had to do pretty much with the command line administration and stuff like that. Yep. So in 2019, pretty much all of those uh, issues have been fixed, and also, like you said. Admin Center takes care of all the GUI stuff.
1: Sure does, sure does. I think the other interesting use case for S2D, um, I really like that they've added the two-node option. Um, you know, I the space that I come from was the SMB in the, the mid-market. So, you know, I was managing clusters from two nodes to 12. I think the biggest one that I, I used to manage was a 16-node cluster. But, I mean, for the two-node, those two-node... Uh, type of uh, situations for the SMB. Storage space, it's pretty tough to beat that solution because, I mean, you can you can lose a whole node and you, you don't lose any data. I mean, they've architected it so intelligently to where um, you don't really have a, a concern for data loss um, as long as you play your cards right.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, REFS was also introduced in, like, what's it, 2012 initially, actually?
1: Yeah, yeah, REFS. I've been waiting for REFS to... Uh, you know become the the uh, file system for a while now and i think 2019 things are finally starting to turn the corner
0: absolutely i agree 2019 server 2019 it actually nails the res and stuff and it's now pretty much feature complete uh from the initial 2012 release which was pretty much lacking every ntfs thing that people were complaining about so uh, it's pretty much all there now in 2019 so yeah Go ahead, people. Rejoice! Oh, That's yeah. right. That's
1: right. I, you know, I, I still kind of chuckle to myself anytime I format a uh, a file system with the new technology file system. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what yeah. is it? What is it? It's it's how, oh boy. How old is it now? Twenty years?
0: <laughs> yeah. oh, it's not even older than that. It's it's like ancient today. <laughs> right. I just oh, I kind of <laughs>
1: chuckle to myself every time I, I use it. But um, I think the big thing for me with refs. Um, that was kind of a, an eyebrow raiser. I mean, think about, uh, you know, creating a new virtual hard disk, a VHD or VHDX with, uh, you know, when you thick provision it, you know, can, you know, basically assign all the space to it up front with NTFS. It could take a long time to provision that space rate, but REFS is almost instantaneous, you know, because it's just a far more intelligent file system under the hood than NTFS is.
0: Yeah, I think the most in- impressive demo that I actually saw regarding the- that whole thing was uh, you had created a, a snapshot on uh, hyper v and then you l- let it run for like a week, and then you do a merge. Yep. On NTFS, that could be weeks if oh, there yeah. have been a lot of changes. On yep. RESS it was like five seconds, and it's done.
1: It's like, oh, I'm done. <laughs> yep. Incredible.
0: Okay, so we're pretty much the time constraint, so we need to talk more about Windows Admin Center right now. So, sure. Uh, I know that both you and I have been using that pretty much since day one. So uh, coming now to, like I said, May 27th of 2019, what are your thoughts on Windows Admin Center today?
1: You know, I really like Windows Admin Center. I think that I, th- I think it's going to be the management tool moving forward. And, and definitely Microsoft sees it in that light as well. Um there are a few things that I, I wish would be a little bit better for Admin Center. Like, uh, for example, um, I, I don't know, maybe it's just kind of a nitpicky thing, but I hate how if I'm trying to manage multiple systems, I have to kind of switch between the systems. You know what I mean? Whereas, um, you know, like the old MMC tools, you had kind of that left-hand pane where you could quick, quickly get to another system. But I kind of get what they're, what they're going for. I mean, Admin Center is going to be the tool for managing your standalone server's um, and managing your smaller environments. If you need something over and above that, that's where System Center comes into play, right? So, um, Absolutely. yeah, so I mean, for what their intended use case is, it's a fantastic tool. Um, you know, there's a lot of stuff that they're adding to the UI that, um, especially for Hyper V, uh, just a little kind of quality of, of life improvements. So, um, if you think about Hyper V using Hyper V Manager um, and you compare it with System Center Virtual Machine Manager, so VMM. When you delete a VM in Hyper-V Manager, it um it actually kept the the virtual hard disk around for you. You had to go manual to delete the virtual hard disk. If you went and deleted the VM in VMM, it would nuke the hard disk when you deleted the 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 VM. So there's two disparate two different you know t- two different ways of doing things between those two tools. Now the nice thing I like about Admin Center is I noticed this with the last build you delete a VM in Admin Center, and it asks you, do you want to delete the VHD as well? So, I mean, it's little stuff like that, these little quality of life improvements that are, are kind of a big deal. The other thing I saw, um, there is now a checkbox for uh, nested virtualization. Do you want to expose the virtualization extensions to the virtual machine? You know, with Hyper-V Manager, you had to actually do all that through PowerShell. Uh, now, if you use an Admin Center... Um, you you just have a checkbox for it. So I mean, you know, all of these kind of next generation features they've they've had, they're actually exposing them inside of the admin center UI. So um, you can definitely see what their strategy is moving forward.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And I again, I can't say anything else than that. I absolutely agree. I love admin center, and I I'm still wondering why more people have not just gone head in to just try it out.
1: Right? Right? Yeah, definitely. Um,
0: like a year and a half now. Right. try it out. It's free. Why don't you not try it out?
1: Exactly, yeah. So, I mean, we actually did a... Uh, at Altera, we did a webinar on Admin Center last month? March. No, it, May. I think it was sometime in May. I don't remember when. We've recently done one uh, on Admin Center where uh, Eric Siren, I mentioned him earlier, uh, he and I, we walked through... Um, admin center pretty much in its entirety we did a lot of demos as well so um when i do a session i i i am a firm believer in not doing death by powerpoint so um we always like to do the uh do the demos so um you know i would encourage um encourage people to check that out if if they're interested in actually seeing what admin center looks like um and not to toot my own horn or anything you know
0: <laughs> <laughs> absolutely and uh if Andy says it, he can recommend something, I absolutely agree. That is definitely worth worth checking out.
1: Yeah, I appreciate it. Thank you.
0: Uh, yeah, again, time constraints, so we'll need to go to our final bullet point, which is MS Ignite 2019. So are you attending again this year, and what are your expectations?
1: Yep, I think that's the plan. I It's on my docket, so it's already on my calendar. Um, I just got to get my ticket purchased yet. I think uh, registration opened last week, so I better get on that. Um but yeah, you know, I'm looking forward it's, it's to it. Very My, late
0: this year. it's November this year. So it it is, is
1: November this year. That's going to be a little strange because it's it's been in September pretty much as long as I can remember. Um
0: No, 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 no. Oh,
1: that's right. Wait. It used to be in the spring, didn't it?
0: Yeah, May. Early May.
1: That's right. That's right. Um But yeah, it'll be strange with it being in November. Of course, Florida in November will be much nicer than Florida in September. So, um, I hope so. (laughs) So we'll have that going for us. Um, But as far as expectations go, um, you know, I'm always like a kid in a candy store at Ignite. Um, I love hearing about all the new stuff that they've got coming out. I mean, as as part of the MVP program, I kind of get a little bit of a preview as to what's coming out. But I mean, there's there's stuff that they announce announce at Ignite that they even keep from us, you know. So. I think the other thing that becomes a lot more clear um, at Ignite every year is for existing technologies, it seems like they always refine the use case a little bit. So I always like to use containers as an example there. I think for the last couple of years, people have kind of been shrugging their shoulders when, you know, hey, for us IT pros, what's the use case for containers? And I think that's become a little bit more clear over the last, um, especially the last Ignite. For me personally, it became a lot more clear. And um, so I guess my expectations are you know, find out about what's new. I think we're going to hear a lot of Azure stuff, lots and lots of Azure stuff, maybe with some Azure Stack stuff mixed in. Um, Just like previous years, I don't think we'll hear a whole lot of the words Windows Server thrown around. And I think that throws a lot of folks off. But, you know, I always tell people don't get too worried about that because the technologies they are talking about, Windows Server is at their core. So, I mean, like things like Azure Stack, right? Um, That whole thing is driven by Windows Server. So, um, that's 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 one thing I always like to point out. So, um, I think the other interesting thing is they've recently rebranded a lot of the um, software-defined data center technologies and Windows Server as Azure Stack HCI. So things like S2D, um, you know, they've branded it under this new Azure Stack HCI designation, and that's I think that's confusing some people because they're like, wait, I just want on-premise clustering or sorry on-premises. Clustering. Um, I, why does this have Azure in the name? So I think that's confusing some people. So I think you're going to see a lot of clarification at Ignite this year about the whole Azure Stack HCI and how it actually is just a collection of on-premises technology and it really has nothing to do with Azure except for you know the Azure tie-ins that are already present in Windows Server 2019. And um, I think we'll also get a we'll also get another you know we'll get a look at uh, you know the the next upcoming. Um, iteration of uh, the Windows Server, you know, like the semi annual channel. We'll, we'll see some previews around that as well, I'm sure.
0: Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. But uh, I, I talked a little bit about this uh, in the latest official podcast version. I think it was like 73 or something. That uh, I am actually not, the, this is the first year that I'm not in, you know, in the most enthusiastic about this year's Ignite, in regards to the content that Microsoft will bring out because. I think it's, like, kind of a weird middle year for them. Yeah. They have, you know, like, oh, this year we have this major new release of something-something. I think it's just, like, you know, uh, like, limited updates. It's just a few patches that are new, Yeah, new versions might come out, but I, I don't think they have anything, like, bombastic to release this year, as they have done in previous years, you know, 2016, 2019. And those kind of things. Of course, Azure will get, like, probably a million updates as they did last year, which was actually freaking amazing. Right. I mean, you log on to the Azure portal after the keynote, and it was like everything was read with preview, 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 preview. <laughs> Pretty much. Yeah, that was insane. So, But then again, Alex, of course, took me down to earth, reminded me that, you know, you are thinking about Ignite in the old sense. Uh, you know uh, the value of Ignite is absolutely uh, pretty much outside of the actual conference. You know where you do all the networking, you meet all the vendors, yep. on their their meetings and stuff. That is the key value for Ignite, pretty much. So yep. the conference itself is pretty much more or less an excuse to go there.
1: Another uh, another good friend of mine. You might know him as well because I think he's from your your uh, your part of the world there, uh, Frederick Nilsson. Um, yeah, and, absolutely. Yeah, he he always says the hallway sessions. He calls them the hallway sessions and absolutely right. I mean, um I think last year at Ignite, I don't think I actually went to any session except for the keynote. The rest of my time was spent talking with folks and and hallway sessions as as Frederick Frederick so uh, eloquently puts there.
0: Yeah, absolutely. And Alex kind of reminded me of that. I knew that previously, but I just pretty much forgot this year. I don't know why. Maybe I'm depressed or something. <laughs> That's no good. But, but I have put, I put in my word that I, I, will, I will actually go if I can. So uh, waiting for that approval, right?
1: Crossing my fingers for you, buddy.
0: <laughs> Thank you very much. <laughs> very much for coming back to the show it has been a great pleasure having you here and you are of course always welcome uh, and we are way out of time as my clock is telling me but i think alex will either find a way to cut this down or just leave it for like an extra long bonus bonus episode gotcha,
1: gotcha sounds good well i appreciate you having me on and uh looking forward to uh many more in the future
0: yeah thank you very much and uh bye for now
1: sounds good see you, everyone